If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. A bequest allows you to receive an estate tax charitable deduction and reduces the tax burden on your family. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the Word of the Lord endures forever. Lutheran Public Radio Choir with the hymn, The Only Son from Heaven. Many of us will be singing that this coming Sunday, the second Sunday after Epiphany. No sphere his light confining, no star so brightly shining as he, our morning star. Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Will Whedon joins us to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. He is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts a daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Well, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Todd. So how did the readings for this Sunday tie into an ongoing epiphany theme. Well, as the hymn just sang it to us, right? No sphere his light confining, no star so brightly shining as he, as Jesus, our morning star. And so the shining light of Christ shining into the world continues by the miracles that he's going to do. That's a big theme of epiphany is to look at Jesus doing these crazy things that he does, which only God in the flesh could actually do. They all manifest his glory. We're going to hear about one of those in the gospel reading for today. Let's jump into the first proper for this coming Sunday, the intro, which is selected verses from Psalm 66. What do we find there? Yeah, Psalm 66 and in the antiphon, the second part of the antiphon is from Psalm 92, verse 1. So it starts out, all the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. So right away, you get that sort of missionary theme of of Epiphany, the light going out into the darkness to fill the hearts of God's people and to call those who are in the darkness into that light. So they sing praises to your name. It's good to give thanks to you, O Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Joy, another big theme of epiphany. Christ's presence among us is always the advent of joy. And it's joy for the whole earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds? Well, during Epiphany, we're going to be saying that to our Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. How awesome are the deeds that you have done for us. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Sort of looking forward to 
that last day when Christ will be revealed and every knee will be bowing to him and confessing that he is indeed Lord to the glory of God the Father. Come and see what God has done. He's awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. Blessed be God who has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. We're going to see Jesus in the gospel reading, not reject the prayer of his mother. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. And again, the antiphon just goes back and highlights, repeats this thought. The whole earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name, and it is good. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. It just strikes me, going through that intro, and I never thought of Epiphany this way. Epiphany being anticipatory of all all creation, that moment when all creation will literally be on their knees before the risen Christ. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as as we look at our Lord's life, we th- we see these little moments of shining where things in creation really do shine in glory, as they're you know the glory of coming from Him and reflected from Him. It's going to shine even more as we're going to get to a transfiguration at the end of Epiphany. But that is all preliminary and a teasing taste of what's headed our way when creation itself is going to be transformed and the glory of the Lord is going to be seen from one end of the world to the other. It's going to be all glory on that day. What do we find in the collect for this coming Sunday? Yeah, the collect is one of the classic collects from the Western Rite. Very short, very sweet to the point. Almighty and everlasting God, who governs all things in heaven and earth, mercifully hear the prayers of your people and grant us your peace through all our days. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. A prayer that God would fill his people with his peace, the peace that comes from knowing that he mercifully hears their prayers, which is a beautiful tie-in again to the gospel reading. Let's start with the Old Testament reading in terms of our lessons. We have an option mm-hmm. between Exodus thirty-three twelve through 23 or interestingly enough, Amos 9, beginning at verse 11. Yeah, let's look at both of them. So in Exodus 33, we have, Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and your people? Is it not in your going with us? So that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Please, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand 
until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Fascinating little bit out of Exodus here. So the thing that where it really kicks into today's gospel reading is this request, I want you to show me your glory. I want to see you. Can I see what you really look like? And the Lord's answer to that is, uh, no, <laughs> you, you cannot do this. Man cannot do this and live. I think you need to hear that as sinful man cannot do this and live. It will wipe you out. You cannot do this. I've not yet prepared the way for you to do this. Instead, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to stick you in a little cleft, a little hole there in the rock, and I'm going to cover you with my hand, which is, you think about the Lord not having body parts, so that's a strange expression, but he covers him in some way so that he cannot see. And then after he has passed by, he's going to remove the hand, and Moses gets this fascinating glimpse of God's glorious backsides. And I can never even read this passage without thinking about how Luther unpacked this whole thing in the Heidelberg Disputation in 1518. Do you remember that, Todd? That I mean, he talks about the backsides of God, and the true theologian is the one who learns to see the backsides of God through the suffering of the cross, where you look at the suffering of the Son of God on the cross. You're looking at the glory of God. This is the backsides of God, and this is what we can see and live Because here we will see that God has actually turned his face to us on the cross in a human flesh and blood. And Amos? Amos is, uh, this is a fascinating passage. Let me give it to you first as it is in our lectionary, 11 to 15. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom... And all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. And they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. So that's the passage as we have it translated from the Masoretic text. It's cited by St. James in Acts 15 as the clincher passage for the Gentiles not needing to be made Jews in order to be saved. But he cites it from the Septuagint, which is just a little different, especially at the beginning. Listen to this. In that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and will rebuild the ruins of it and will set up the parts thereof that have been broken down. And I will build it up as in the ancient days that the remnant of men, not of Edom, but of men and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, think baptism, upon whom my name is called may earnestly seek me, set the Lord who does all these things. So the, 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 the New Testament change, if you will, on that, that runs with the Septuagint, makes it clear that this is actually going to be fulfilled in the ingathering of the nations 
into the people of Israel, which is what we call the church, you know, the gathering together of all the peoples. But the sign that it's going to be given that this is happening is this abundance of the mountains dripping sweet wine. The creation is just overflowing with all these goodies. Well, you can't read that and not go, oh, wait, Jesus did a miracle like that, right? Where the hills drip sweet wine because he supplied this bounteous wine in Cana. The the second choice of the reading there of, of Amos is clearly tied into the gospel reading for the day with the idea of the mountains dripping with sweet wine. The first reading tied in with the disciples saw the glory of the Lord when Jesus did this, and so Moses requests to see the glory of the Lord. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the second Sunday after Epiphany, working our way toward the wedding at Cana in John chapter 2. If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. A bequest allows you to receive an estate tax charitable deduction and reduces the tax burden on your family. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the word of the Lord endures forever. Where is God's mission? God's mission is everywhere. Yes, it's far away, but it's also very near. It's as near as your congregation in school, your neighborhood, your family and friends, even as near as your home. Wherever you are, God's mission is in that place. Through his mission, Christ is bringing forgiveness, life, and salvation to people everywhere, even here, right where you are. God's Mission Here. Learn more at lcms.org slash national mission. You can teach lay people theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Athanasius, Bishop of Alexandria in the 4th century, was known for boldly confessing Jesus Christ as both true God and true man. This is what we do at St. Athanasius Lutheran Church in Vienna, Virginia, just outside Washington, D.C., continuing this historic confession of our Savior, who died for us and now comes to us in word and sacrament. If you live in the D.C. area or just visiting, come join us. For more information, find us on the web, St. Athanasius Lutheran Church. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Will Whedon. Will, you have written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled, Inwardly Digest God's Word. Tell us about it. 
Yeah, I, I, it's actually uh, Jeff's idea. He said, what does it mean to inwardly digest? We, we use that prayer all the time. Where did the prayer even come from? I sort of traced through the history of uh, Thomas Cramner's prayer that he, he had written this as a prayer for the second Sunday in Advent based off of the epistle reading for the day from Romans 15. And then we just sort of walk our way through thinking about what it means to actually ingest, to, to eat, to devour the word of God, to let it actually live inside of you. It's going to, well, when we take food and take it into our bodies, we transform it into our bodies and we're able to do things. Same thing with the with the principle of the spiritual food with God feeds us through his word. Once it comes into us, it is active and busy inside of us. And so we want to dwell in it and dwell in it richly and have it just be stuffed down our throats anytime we can get a hold of it. To let it not go in one ear and out the other, but to actually let it transform and change who we are and how we live. Folks, you can subscribe to the Online Issues Etc. Journal for free. Just go to our website, issuesetc.org. You'll see a red subscription button in the right-hand column. Click on that and enter your email address, and we'll send you the latest Issues Etc. Journal. Pastor Whedon, the gradual for this coming Sunday is drawn from Psalm 107. What does it say? Yeah, let's look at it. I just want to sort of highlight, too, that, I mean, have you noticed as we do this back and forth, after the Word of God has been read— it seems to call forth more word of God spoken in praise back to God. So that's really what the gradual or the psalm that's appointed for the day is there to do. It's there to enable us to praise God for the word that we've just heard. So given what we've just heard either from Exodus or from Amos, the gradual Psalm 107 verses 20 and 21, he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love and for his wondrous works to the children of men. Wondrous works is the key. And of course, sent out his word is bigger than just him speaking. It has to do with his word coming into the flesh to heal all flesh. That's why he came among us, to deliver us from destruction. And the proof that the one who came among us is indeed the word of God, is in the, you know, the eternal word of the Father, is in what he does He shows us his steadfast love by his wonderful works. And we're going to hear about one of those wonderful works when we get to the gospel reading for the day. It's all prep for that. You mentioned the psalm. We have uh, two different psalms that could function here, Psalm 67, Psalm 111. Yeah, I I would honestly just push Psalm 111 if you're going to do it. Psalm 111 with the antiphon in verse 9. These words, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright and the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He's caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hand are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. And then this is the antiphon. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. So that's the verse that's said before the psalm and also after the psalm, highlighted in the psalm. And then the last verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His 
praise endures forever. I can't read that verse and not think of the funeral of my friend Carl Alftenberg, pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville for a long time. And that was his confirmation verse. And I was blessed to be able to preach the funeral for Pastor Alftenberg. And I used that text, especially this idea, his praise endures forever. The thing Carl knew and taught everybody was you don't stop praising God. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life, whether you got tears in your eyes or whether you are laughing and full of joy. It doesn't matter whether you're sad, up, down, whatever. You praise the Lord. It's always time to praise him and to praise him, especially for the great and awesome things he has done, which is what we're getting ready to hear about again in the gospel reading. What is this great and awesome thing that God does that spills out joy into the world? The epistle reading is Ephesians 5. Again, we have an alternative in Romans Mm -hmm. 12, beginning at verse 6. Yeah, let's do Ephesians 5 first. It's not the historic reading. It's the reading that's sort of selected to be thematic with the gospel reading. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Some versions have there, of his flesh and of his bones, in the King James, for example. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. This obviously ties to the idea of marriage. Well, the the setting in the gospel reading is is Jesus attending a wedding celebration in Cana. So that's why it was especially selected. But also this idea that Jesus himself is the bridegroom of his church— who cleanses the church by the shedding of his own blood so that he can present the church to himself without any wrinkle or spot or, I mean, anything. She appears robed in his own perfection, his absolutely perfect, unbroken yes to the will of the Father. That is what he clothes his church in as he presents her to himself. And and, and Paul is just really stunning when he says there at the end that the mystery is profound. And it really refers to Jesus and the church. But of course, he says, it has an application to your marriage too, that each one should love his wife as himself and the wife should see that she respects her husband, that she submits to her husband by respecting him. So, I mean, it it ties into the gospel reading for the day very beautifully, but it's not the traditional reading for the day. We have Romans 12, 6 through 16. Which is the traditional reading for the day. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, 
let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith, that's if you put that in the Vulgate, that's where you get the the the, the language of the analogy of faith. So it, if you're prophesying, it should be in accordance with the faith. I mean, that's the intent there. And verse seven, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity. I think that's a beautiful tie into the gospel. Jesus is going to contribute to the uh, wedding, and what he is going to contribute is going to be beyond generous, what he's going to be giving there. The one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And I suspect he had a great deal of cheerfulness as he did this great miracle. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant. I think the King James has instant there in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So just Paul is at that point in in Romans where he's ready. He's already laid out his whole theology of justification and sanctification. And now, and he, and he covered the whole mystery of election, especially in relationship to Israel. And now he's getting to the practical living out of the Christian life in Romans. And as he's doing that, he does it with the whole series of exhortations here. And as I pointed out, some of these exhortations have echoes in the gospel reading for the day. What is the um, verse before we take our break? Yeah, the verse is from Psalm 148 and verse 2. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Which is just a great reminder that as they see God in action in the flesh, the angels of God must be absolutely blown away. And they just keep on praising and giving him glory. And we just encourage them to keep it on and pray that we might join them in their praise of the Lord. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We are looking forward to the second Sunday after the Epiphany, and that gospel reading, John 2, 1 through 11, the wedding at Cana, is right around the corner. Here's an easy way for you to help us cast ChristNet on the internet. Subscribe, rate, and review the Issues Etc. podcast with your podcast provider. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Help us reach more listeners in 2024. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today.
Hello, this is Roy Askins with The Lutheran Witness. You've heard me talk about all the great content we publish in the print magazine of The Lutheran Witness, but I wanted to share with you that we have even more online. Visit our website, witness.lcms.org, where you'll hear even more content on worship this month in particular from Cantor Phil Magnus. We also have a series on literature right now going on and a series on church art with much more planned in the future. You can get all that for free on witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. You're personally invited to join Lutherans for Life and Why for Life in celebrating under the theme, Just As I Am, January 14th through the 20th during Life Week 2024. Each theme day will explore a distinct aspect of life ministry through local activities, online educational events, interviews, and more. For additional information, visit lutheransforlife.org. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Old Theology, New Technology, you're listening to Issues Etc. Issues Etc. guest Dr. Ben Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here's what Martin Luther says about the pastoral office. My pastor is practicing the virtue that increases God's kingdom, fills heaven with saints, plunders hell, robs the devil, wards off death, represses sin, preserves peace and unity, and plants all kinds of virtue in the people. In a word, he is making a new world. He builds not a poor temporary house, but an eternal and beautiful paradise in which God himself is glad to dwell. We are calling good men to step up. Come to Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back to Issues Etc. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. So now we come to this gospel reading, John 2, 1 through 11, the wedding at Cana. Yeah, it's got to be one of my favorite gospel readings. It's got so much juice in this one. So, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some of it out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. 
when the master of the feast tasted the water and now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Okay, as we go back through it and think about this reading, so many things come up. Number one, third day? Third day from what? The last event was the encounter between our Lord and Nathaniel. I suppose that could be the point of reference, or maybe it just means like Tuesday. Or yet again, it may invite us to think of that famous third day, <laughs> the, the day of the resurrection. But but nobody knows for sure. I mean, it's just a reference there to the third day. And Mary's role here as intercessor has been much commented on through the years, especially in noting how Mary did not prescribe to our Lord time, manner, or means for answering, right? Instead, she shows us how to pray. Got a problem? You see, your neighbors have a problem. You pick up your neighbor's problem and you simply drop it on Jesus' doorstep. Here it is. This is your problem now, Lord. This is a beautiful, beautiful practice of prayer. So when you pray, remember, don't tell him how to fix things. You just need to take the situation and lay it before him. It's one of the beautiful things about the church's prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, the sinner. You're just asking mercy for all the people around you, knowing that the Lord knows better how to be merciful than you ever will. Jesus' words to Mary, I think they sound harsher in English than the Greek warrants. O woman might ring in with, you think about Galatians 4, 4, God sent forth his only son, born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under law. And remember how St. Irenaeus in his writings explicates this whole idea of Mary as kind of a new Eve here. So in John 19, well, I mean, let's stop and also note this. Mary occurs only two times and not by name, just as the mother of Jesus, two times in the gospel of John. She occurs here at the wedding of Cana and she occurs in chapter 19 where she's standing at the foot of Jesus' cross. Okay? Think about that. So, in, in just like you have Mary at the foot of the cross, you also have in John 19, our Lord being declared the man, right? You think about Pilate crying out, Ece homo, behold the man. The response of our Lord to Mary's prayer is kind of idiomatic. What? to you and to me is literally the way it reads in Greek. And I don't know, I, I've often wondered if it could not be translated in English like, so mom, what does that have to do with us? I, I, I'm not really sure. Usually it's translated, you know, what does it have to do with me? But it literally is, what to you and to me? Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. So in the Gospel of John, his hour is simply huge, right? John 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, 
or you think of John 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Or John 19, from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Note then that in John 19, that hour refers to the moment when our Lord leaves his mother to become the new Adam from whose side a bride will be created. I mean, I don't think any of this is an accident in John's gospel. He is, he is having great joy of the way that the symmetry between these events. Now, among the church fathers, St. Augustine, man, he has a great deal of fun with the six jars being six ages, but such fun is something we might want to forgo. What six says above all, clearly in biblical language is not seven, not fullness, not completion, waiting and waiting in expectation for the restoration of the fullness of creation. And so the six water pots are crying out like all of creation is crying out to be made new and they will be. Our Lord, who seemed to tell his mother, buzz off, in fact, does not let her down. In response to her prayer, he performs his first miracle. And that miracle is no circus trick. It's the transformation of the ordinary into the extraordinary. As both St. Augustine and Luther point out in their homilies on this text, the Lord does this all the time, all around us. We just take it for granted because he usually does it slowly. But this time, it was instantaneous. Following his instruction, nature becomes supernature. And he gave not just water in that, it was wine and not just any wine, it was the finest wine ever. So fine that the steward is perplexed at why the bridegroom would possibly keep the good stuff till the guests are already, well, um, happy, I'll say. I'm sure the bridegroom is perplexed as well. The best is saved for the last when all the signs will be fulfilled. That's the message of John's gospel too. The best is saved for the last. It always awaits the end of all signs when all signs have their fulfillment. And in John 19, it's not wine, but blood that pours out. And you can't help but see the connection between the pouring out of the blood from the sight of Christ by which his wife is created and sustained his bride as an image of the supper itself. So just speak briefly, if you would, about the fact that John notes it for the author's own reasons. The first sign that he records is a wedding feast. A wedding feast. I mean, the wedding brackets the gospel then. His first miracle performed at a wedding and his last miracle, the giving up of his life on the cross, is a wedding. It's how he is preparing for himself a bride. And that's why Mary shows up in both scenes and why he leaves her in John 19. What do you mean by that? That's when a man gets married. He leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. So you know, that 
the role that Mary's sort of fulfilling there. You know, we have a contemporary hymn that sort of really unpacks this very beautifully by Stimply. Um, come join in Cana's feast where Christ is honored guest. He welcomes all who come to taste the wine his hands have blessed. The old wine now is gone from jars that stand apart. No longer can it satisfy the yearning, thirsting heart. But Christ, the word made flesh, bids water turn to wine. He fills our empty cups again with grace and truth divine. Come, friends, and share the feast. Here, drink the wine supplied by him who is both guest and host, our Lord, the crucified. For now he lives and reigns through all eternity with Father, Spirit, three in one, the glorious Trinity. Beautiful. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We are looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. On the other side of the break, we will talk a little bit about some of the hymns. What does it mean to inwardly digest God's Word? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery tells his story of finding confessional Lutheranism to be the most scripturally faithful theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Christological, creedal, confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. Oh, morning star, oh, morning star, Listen to the best of the church's music for the Epiphany season at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the Epiphany season, 24-7. LutheranPublicRadio.org Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. On this Monday, January the 8th, we are looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. The second Sunday after the Epiphany, Pastor Will Whedon of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever is our guest. So, Will, you, what was the hymn you were quoting from before the break? Come join in Cana's Feast, a simply text that's uh, really uh, 
beautiful new hymn for the day. What other hymns might we enjoy singing around this gospel reading this coming Sunday? Well, the traditional hymn for this Sunday is from Elizabeth Kruseger's great text, The Only Son from Heaven. And it's just stunning words and tune, too. It's, it's one of my favorite texts. And it's one of the few hymns from the time of the Reformation written by a woman. The only son from heaven foretold by ancient seers, by God the Father given in human form appears. No sphere his light confining, no star so brightly shining as he, our morning star. The idea of a sphere containing the light, you think of our sun and how it does spill out everywhere, but yet the light is originating inside of the sun itself. Jesus is that so much more. He is our true morning star who shines his light into the darkness of this world, particularly by the things that he does and the words that he says. So then uh, the hymn goes on, O time of God appointed, when the fullness of time came, Galatians 3 again, O bright and holy morn, he comes, the king anointed, the Christ, the virgin born. Grim death to vanquish for us, to open heaven before us and bring us life again. Those are some of the most joyous lines in all of hymnody. Why does Christ come as the anointed king? Why does he come born of Mary? Because he's coming to beat death up and throw it away. And he wants to rip open the kingdom of heaven so that we can follow him right into it. That's why he's coming among us. So the warrior, the little child who is a warrior coming among us. Oh Lord, our hearts awaken to know and love you more in faith to stand unshaken and spirit to adore that we, through this world moving, each glimpse of heaven proving may reap its fullness there. That's another beautiful thought is, you know, we are a people on pilgrimage, but as we're heading toward this glorious kingdom, he doesn't leave us without these little glimpses of heaven shining in our lives. And each one of them is intended to draw us further on, further on to the final fullness of the kingdom that we will have on the last day. And then it ends with a beautiful doxology. Oh, Father, here before you, with God, the Holy Ghost, and Jesus, we adore you, O pride of angel host. Before you, mortals lowly cry, holy, 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 O blessed Trinity. The hymn ends with us on our faces in front of the blessed Trinity, giving him all glory, honor, and worship. Moses had begged to be able to see the face of God, and God literally comes among us in the flesh, that in his Son we might see the face of God, that that face might look upon us and bless us and that it might fill us with his peace. And in the sight of God among us, testified by the mighty deeds that he does, you cannot but fall before him and give praise and honor and glory, crying out with the angels in heaven, the great Sanctus, the holy, holy, holy. What other hymns would be good for the congregation to sing this coming Sunday? Well, we, we sang on Epiphany, O Morning Star, but it certainly isn't another, uh, it's another hymn that's just appropriate throughout this entire season. During the distribution, I would recommend that the congregation sings the, 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 the wedding song, 
soul, adorn thyself with gladness. Because think of how it speaks of us as the bride. Hasten as a bride to meet him, eagerly and gladly greet him. See, he stands already knocking, eager now, your heart unlocking. Haste to open that portal, because Jesus is coming to you now in the sacrament. The sacrament is the fulfillment of the wedding feast that we get to partake of again and again and again as we wait for his glorious appearing at the end of time. It's already a foreshadowing of that and a foretasting of that, and and it's where we're going to all end up, at his table, at his father's house, in the feast that never ends. He just thought to give us a, a, a taste of it ahead of time. And I would also add, there's one other hymn that uh, you guys are going to think I'm really strange on this one. Yaroslav Vida wrote this very modern hymn that I think sort of captures this Sunday. It's called Now, right? Now the silence now the peace, now the empty hands uplift it, now the kneeling, now the plea, now the Father's arms in welcome, now the hearing, now the power, now the vessel brimmed for pouring. Remember, they filled them up to the brim. Now the body, now the blood, now the joyful celebration, now the wedding, now the songs, now the heart forgiven, leaping, Now the Spirit's visitation, now the Son's epiphany, now the Father's blessing, now, now, now. Okay, it's 20th century poetry, and I'm a boomer. I like it. Deal with it. I just think he captured a lot of the spirit of the day in that great text. And it has a beautiful tune. I think it was written by Carl Schock in our book. There's actually a better tune that's been done for it by Dr. Joe Hurl, but it's hard to get a hold of. If you ever, if you ever want to write Hurl and say, give me your tune for uh, Now the Silence, it's also golden. Some have criticized that and some other hymns from that author that they are just images. Yeah, it's almost like more like brokering. Yeah, yeah it's it, 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 just it, piling they're, the pictures. They're images being piled upon top of one another. And I think that while you certainly don't want to make that a standard in hymnody, and it does tend to date itself pretty mm-hmm. hard, I tend to think, though, that that has a way of making, like stained glass windows, making better theological connections while you're singing Yeah. than having to kind of follow an idea through an entire stanza. They are very powerful. They are very powerful. Yeah, I mean, I I really think that that they, they, they do indeed engage the imagination, which is not at all a bad thing to do in hymnody. And as they do that, this this pulling forth of these images. They're kind of like rep the book of Revelation. Well, what is the book of Revelation? It's nothing but a series of crazy images, uh, you know, one after the other succeeding each other. That's much of apocalyptic literature works that way. And so I agree, we wouldn't want a solid diet of nothing but apocalyptic literature. We'd probably lose our minds. But it really is able to exalt and lift us up as we hear the great moments of praise in the book of Revelation. The same thing you hear in Vita's text here, when you just run through the images and those images are calling to your mind all of these promises God has made about his uh, about the end of all things and the great marriage feast that's coming and how we have a participation in that now during the Eucharist, sometimes it's just better to do it with that kind of poetic image rather than a prose attempt to state it out. If you will, it's the difference between the vision of, I don't know, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, and then on the other hand, uh, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas lining everything out point by point, line by line. On the other hand, on this hand, you know, it's a way of confessing the truth, but it's a much more, what's the word for that? 
Is that your left brain or your right brain? I can never keep straight. But it's the other side of your, your creative side of your brain. It, it also is, at least in my experience, it is also a great way, and I think that's what Vita is at working. You mentioned brokering too. A great way to teach the people in song about what's happening on Sunday morning, what the liturgy is actually. Yes. Looks like a guy standing in pyramids, and but there is an unseen reality that can only be heard. Yeah, and, and confessed. And you're—I I wonder if you're thinking of the hymn like "Dine the Amen" does this exact Absolutely. same yes. thing. You know, brokering sign the Amen. It just goes down the line with image after image after image. And I think that's just like the uh, uh, the, the the hymn that ep- it's the epitome of the Book of Revelation. But the Revel Book of Revelation is the epitome of the divine service that we get to participate in on Sunday. And so, anything that opens up our people's minds to see that and to see the connection, I think it's well worth it. So, yes, it is very. I admit the sound is stated. It is very much a piece of the 20th century poetry that doesn't rhyme and all that. But that's just depending on the beauty of the images heaping up, it's still a very powerful thing. And I'll tell you something else too. Those hymns touch our people deeply and they also tend to be very beloved. And I think that's something that we need to sort of recognize. These are hymns that our people are very blessed by. The preacher this coming Sunday, given the gospel reading and the fact that Epiphany also takes place at the Lord's table, this Mm -hmm. is also a revelation of Christ. Mm -hmm. We proclaim his death until he comes, says St. Paul. Mm -hmm. The preacher has to make a connection, as you have here a couple times, between that reading in John and what the congregation will receive in Christ's body and blood. What do our people need to be listening for in that connection? They need to learn to see communion, not as, this is communion again. They need to be able to see it with the eyes of faith. This is the wedding feast. This is where the Savior is going to give you the gift of his body and blood, and his forgiveness is going to wrap you around in his entire holiness, his entire righteousness, his unbroken yes to the Father is going to be yours, given to you there in the body and the blood that were on the cross for you. He goes to the cross to make you his beloved bride, and that comes to culmination every single Sunday or every feast day when we celebrate the Holy Eucharist, and it comes to its final culmination at the great parousia, when Christ appears in glory at the last day. How would you summarize the theme, if you will, for this coming Sunday? Well, I would just go right to that thought that the church has always celebrated the Eucharist as the wedding feast of Christ. In the Eucharist, your heavenly bridegroom, Jesus Christ, comes to your bride. Just like he changed water into wine, he's going to change ordinary bread and wine into being his body and blood for you. Not that the bread and wine aren't there anymore, but now that this bread is his body and this wine is his blood. And he gives them so that you might live from him. Here, he who took on uh, our own flesh from Mary in order to carry our sins to death puts into our mouths the very flesh and blood that bind us to him as one flesh, married to him, one flesh with him, so that as he is risen, we too will be raised, so that as he lives in the Father's glory, we are going to live in the Father's glory. All of our sins, his, all of his life, now ours. So from Cana to Calvary and from Calvary to your church's altar this Sunday, Jesus' wedding feast. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands, and he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio 
called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Pastor Whedon is wrapping up a study this week of the book of Colossians and beginning a study this Friday, January the 12th, on the book of Titus. Listen at your convenience at thewordendures.org, the LPR mobile app, or your favorite podcast provider. Listen and subscribe to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever in 2024. Will, thank you. Thank you so much, Todd. Tuesday on Issues Etc. We'll look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary, talking with Pastor Sean Denzer about Jesus calling Philip and Nathaniel in John chapter 1. And we'll continue our series on forgiveness and unforgiveness with Dr. Ted Kober, co-author of our book of the month, Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Unforgiveness is a prison, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January will help you break out of the unforgiveness in your own life. It's titled, Unforgivable? How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. Or learn more about Unforgivable at issuesetc.org. Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives, The Issues Etc. Book of the Month. In a world awash with all sorts of information, opinions, and ideas, there is still a place where God's Word is the central and only focus. Messiah Lutheran Church, 801 North Madison, Lebanon, Illinois. At 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, God's people gather there to listen to Him. There you will find His words of law and gospel, and of course, our Lord's Holy Supper. Bible classes focus on the Bible and the Lutheran Confessions. Come, listen, believe, and live, and check out our website at messiahlebanon.org. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com.